October. Um, we're now going to hear the Bible read. Verse 1 to 31. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. As he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we were put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in um, at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived in Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself, with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, together the local Jewish the local Jewish leaders, oh, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of your, our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, Explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. 
for this people's heart had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn, and turn I would heal them. And therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Afternoon, guys. Good to see you here. Lovely place to be in the time of rain, and uh, also no, probably a time of semester when there's lots of things due. We're feeling the the weight of things. So good on you for being here. I want to ask first of all, what do you hope for? What do you hope for? Um, I know what I hope for. I hope for one of the outlines. I want more in life than just that, but that's a good start. What do you hope for? I don't like that question uh, myself. I never really liked being asked you that small print. I never know how to answer that. My mind goes immediately blank. Maybe yours does too. What do you hope for in life? How do you work out what you hope for? The things you hope for are the things that you're waiting for. It's the same idea. What are you waiting for? Uh, what are you longing for? What do you expect to have happen? Some of you want very short-term stuff. You're hoping for the break in a couple of days' time. And for all of the catch-up of study that that will be and uh, sleep. Uh, both at the same time, if that can happen for some of you, and you just want to get out of semester for a moment, catch up on some things. Others of you, further ahead, you'll be looking forward to the break three weeks after that, or the exams and the break after that, and summertime, and the chance to maybe get some work, or do other things, catch up with people, uh, go away on missions, and all sorts of things like that. Still further ahead. Some of you might be hoping for, well, bigger things in life. Friendships, uh, love, fulfillment, security. What is it for you? Well, you guys, being millennials, uh, I don't know if you know the the laws that govern what millennials hope for, but you guys hope for satisfying experiences of life more than you hope for stuff like treasures and cars and houses and things like that. You want satisfying experiences, well, I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but that's what you hope for. You want to travel? Yes, you do. You want to see exciting places? Yes, you do. But you want to go to exciting places with other people and experience those exciting places with other authentic locals and spend time with them and include them in your Instagram snapshot, uh, snapshots. Uh, 
uh, that you can post very subtly. And interestingly, websites like Airbnb and also um, Trivago, as well, I've noticed, play very much into this whole experience thing, where when you book something, you book it based on the experience. This is what I want to experience. Uh, I want to have a lively atmosphere. I want people around where I'm going. I don't want just nobody. I want parties. I want. We want experience. You guys want experience. I'm not quite. Uh, what are you hoping for? What do you long for? What are you expecting? As we reach the end of Acts in this chapter, I want all of us to evaluate what we long for, what we hope for, in light of what is God's hope for us. What is God's hope for the world? And to know what to wait for, to know what to expect. And Luke shows it to us through the lens of Paul, Jesus' apostle, and what Paul expects, what Paul hopes for. And so as we spend some time in this final chapter of Acts, which God's given us, we're going to ask God to help us understand. Uh, pray, ask God to help us, since he's given it to us, and uh, let me pray. Lord, thank you that you do speak to us in your word, that you've given us your word as we look at these last chapters of Acts. Help us to understand your word, to hear it clearly. Help me to be able to teach it clearly and faithfully. And please allow us and help us to respond in obedience. Mm. Well, last week in Acts chapter 22, many, many chapters ago, we left Paul under arrest in Jerusalem. Paul was under arrest. He was, he was saved from the mob that was trying to kill him uh, by the Roman tribune the Roman guards. And between the riot and the arrest in Jerusalem and his arrival in Rome, much happens to Paul. Heaps happens, which we unfortunately don't get a chance to read through and look at. You'll have to look at it for yourself. It truly is quite uh, an exciting adventure that Paul goes through. But to fill in a couple of things. Well, here we see, first of all, that Paul... We're back in chapter 23, when he was in Jerusalem, appeared before this Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, in chapter 23, and they were saying, rid the earth of Paul, get rid of him, he is not fit to live. And that was when he was almost killed by the, by the crowd. And a plot to kill Paul was arranged by this Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, and it was revealed to the Roman guard that this was about to happen, and so the Romans didn't want to have their authority undermined by the locals, of course. And so Paul was whisked away in the middle of the night to the city of Caesarea with, by about um, 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. In other words, they wanted to protect Paul. In Caesarea, Paul appears to Governor Felix. Well... Governor Felix is not sure what to do with Paul, and so he leaves his case undetermined and leaves Paul in prison in Caesarea for two years. He wanted to do the Jews a favour, we were told. Felix is succeeded by Portius Festus, or if you mispronounce his name, Porcius Festus. <laughs> oh, sort of like that. He looks a little bit like that there. 
And he is brought up to speed on Paul. The Jewish leaders, again, come from Jerusalem up to Caesarea to ask for Paul to be transferred back to Jerusalem to be tried so that they could kill him along the way. Now, Paul sees through their plan, and so in order to stop himself from being taken back to Jerusalem, he appeals to Caesar. He's in the Roman system, and so he appeals to have his case seen by Caesar. And so Festus uh, looks into it and examines him and finds nothing wrong, nothing that needs convicting. There's no trial. There's nothing to be answered for in Paul's case, but he's got no option but to send him to Caesar because Paul has appealed to Caesar. Well, before he goes to Caesar, he appears before King Agrippa, who arrives with great ceremony, we were told, in chapter 26, and he listens to Paul's case uh, as a favour for Festus. As Festus doesn't know what to write to Caesar, he thinks, well, I can't really send the guy to Caesar, and we don't really know what his charge is. Um, Festus, can you, uh, Agrippa, can you help us with write something up? And Agrippa hears the case and finds that Paul is innocent and has done nothing that deserves any trial. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have gone free. But anyway, he sends him off to Caesar. Paul then sails under guard to Rome. And there you can see his trip, where he travels from Caesarea down here and up to Sidon, and then on his way through to um, those places, uh, Patara, Midas, Lycia. It's come to the time of year when it's dangerous, uh, very dangerous, to sail the Mediterranean, but the pilot of the ship at Crete doesn't want to stay there, doesn't want to spend the winter there, and so they take off, and Paul says, no, don't do that, uh, but nonetheless they take off. And you can see that's not the actual route they probably took. There's probably lots of circles and going round and round. They almost died um, pretty badly. They shipwreck on the island of Malta, which is where we began our reading in verse uh, in chapter 28. The beach on Malta was cold and wet. It was raining, but the locals, the Maltese were warm and welcoming, and they make a fire for everybody. And Paul gathers together some sticks, which contain a snake, which targets Paul's hand, and uh, after Paul puts the sticks on the fire, jumps out and latches onto Paul's hand, which stuns everybody, except for the Maltese, the locals. They know what this means. What do they say in verse 4? They say... No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. And so they wait. They wait for him to swell up uh, and die. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. But he doesn't swell up and die. And they conclude he must be a god. Oh well, it's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Why does Luke decide to include like all this detail? And you need to go back and read it. It's fantastic stuff, all those chapters. Why does Luke include all these details, and this particular detail along the way? The Jewish leaders have condemned him to death. Paul, that is, to death. 
He's not fit to live. But the Roman tribune, Felix, Festus and Agrippa, the whole Roman machine of justice, has found him innocent. Not only that, but even the quick-to-judge Maltese islander natives interpret the natural justice system and they say he's innocent. He hasn't died from the snake bite. Everybody has concluded that he's innocent, except for the Jewish leaders who want to have him killed. Just like Jesus, the Roman governor knew he was innocent. His uh, people all around could see that Jesus was innocent, and that Paul was too. It was his own that wanted him dead. Paul's life matched the experience of his Lord, the Lord Jesus, who was innocent and yet was rejected, even to death. And despite intense opposition, uh, even to death, and almost death in Paul's case in a lot of different ways, God providentially provides for Paul you know, through all of his situations. And so, once in Rome... Paul calls together the local leaders of the Jews and explains his story and everything that's happened to him and his innocence. And he explains to them that he's there because of the hope of Israel and because of the hope of Israel that he is in chains. Have a look down in verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. It's this promised reality, the hope of Israel, that drives Paul, and at times uh, in its history has driven the people of Israel. It's what Paul and the nation long for with eager expectation what they long to see, what they hope for. Well, over to you guys. I'll let you have a little chat with each other. What is it, do you reckon? What is the hope of Israel? I'll give you a moment with people around here. Not unrelated, but no. Jesus. 
Jesus is the hope of Israel. No. <laughs> Not unrelated. The restoration of Israel. The restoration of Israel. Ah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what you mean by that. Okay. Good. <laughs> in the chapters that we've skipped over, you hear it in Paul's testimony. And so, back in Jerusalem, in chapter 23, and we'll go back to what we saw, when he was before the Sanhedrin giving evidence, chapter 23, verse 6, Paul says this. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, don't worry about those, don't know, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the of Pharisees, is respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So right from the beginning of this whole trial scene, it's because of his hope in the resurrection of the dead. Indeed, all of Israel's hope, except for the Pharisees, but don't worry, except for the Sadducees, but don't worry about that. It's the hope of the resurrection. Or when he's before Felix in chapter 24, verse 14, I, but I confess to you uh, that according to the way which they call the sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Or before Agrippa, in chapter 26, there's two um, sections here. He says, verse 6, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which the twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Verse 21, This to this day... Sorry, verse 22. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. See, the resurrection of the dead is what... Paul is longing for what the nation of Israel hoped for the resurrection of all from the dead you see it in passages if you want to go back to the Old Testament Ezekiel 37 you can find it there Isaiah 26, uh, Daniel 12 and many other passages, there's some big ones that you can look at and have, a, have a look and see how the Old Testament puts it but when the resurrection would come the expectation of God's people was that God would put his spirit in his people. A new spirit. A new heart. And when that happened, God and his people, God's people would no longer live in darkness. They'd no longer live in captivity because of sin. They would no longer have the effects of sin, but cleansed from sin. It would be a time when his people would be enabled to live rightly under the reign of God's King. 
his new king who we see in Jesus. And all the promises and the blessings that God had promised to his people would come at the resurrection. And it finds its fulfilment in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus' resurrection sets off this new age of expectation of when the Spirit is given and looking forward to the final fulfilment when Jesus will rule over all nations and the blessing of God's promises will come to the people of all nations. We've been looking at Acts for this last year. Before that we were looking at Luke's first volume, Luke's Gospel. If you go back to the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is just a baby. Luke chapter 2, you might remember it, there's lots of little occurrences there, of the people of Israel, faithful people of Israel, a couple of them that are looking forward to the promises being fulfilled. And Simeon, who's in the temple when the little baby Jesus is brought in, and we're told that Simeon is looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And he says that this little fellow, this Jesus, well, he's going to have effect on the nations. The light of God's word, and God's, um, the light of God will flow from him into the nations. And so now, all the way through to the final chapter of Luke's second volume, Jesus is presented in Rome by Paul as the king of God's kingdom over all the nations. Simeon would smile in his grave. Or at least he would smile and rejoice with the Lord that he is now alongside of in heaven and longing for his return. As we come to the end of Luke's account, the gospel of Jesus has come to Rome. So how does Luke finish his account? It's a bit strange. It's an awkward, although not totally unexpected, ending. It has all the build-up um, of a grand finale with this, these trials that Paul goes through, literal trials, and the shipwreck and all the storm and getting to Rome. It's all this massive build-up. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, we were told that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And here it is in Rome, the premium prime city on earth. Will Rome be turned upside down now that the gospel is there? We didn't look at all the cities where Paul went, but most of them got turned upside down by Paul. Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth, where there were riots and, and people that were trying to kill Paul. Or in Athens, great city of great learning where Paul challenges the locals and the local philosophies of the Stoics and the Epicureans. Is that what's going to happen in Rome now that this final grand climax has happened? Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both 
from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. Others disbelieved. Paul's under house arrest. And many Jewish people come to hear him. Typically, Luke tells us of these Jews that some were convinced and others disbelieved. In fact, the last recorded response to any message in Acts is disbelief. There's nothing said about engaging the city with the message of the gospel, engaging Rome, or engaging with Gentiles. Is that it? That's it. That's the, that's the last interaction that we see. It's like, it's like a, a movie that's run out of money to finish the production. We're just like, we'll just end it here. That's it, sorry, that's done. And it's just a bit awkward given the massive build-up. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. Puzzling for the final scene. But quite typical of Luke's account so far is for him to dwell on the opposition as he does. So verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I will heal them. He preaches to Jews but is rejected. And he says that's the word that Isaiah spoke many hundreds of years beforehand being fulfilled right here as you leave and as you reject closing of the ears and the eyes to the message of the Messiah, the hardening of the hearts of the people of Israel means that the gospel will go now to the nations. The gospel will go to the nations. Verse 28. Therefore let it be known to you, you people who are walking away in disbelief, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. The final recorded response is disbelief, but the ongoing expectation is acceptance by the Gentiles. So Luke ends not with a final grand showdown between Paul perhaps making a great public oration and masses being converted there on the spot. It doesn't end with Paul... Um, being tried before Caesar in his great trial where he defends himself and maybe he loses the case and maybe he's martyred or maybe he lives out as an older man preaching the gospel. It doesn't end with any event like that. He ends with the confirmation that a new era has come. The salvation of God has been sent. And secondly, along with that new expectation, they will listen. The people of the nations, by the way, that's you and me, we will listen. And thirdly, 
act ends, not with a final decisive event, full stop, but with an ongoing activity. 30, verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, there is a decisive event. It's the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's all in the past at this stage. That's the decisive event. Actually, it was at the end of Luke's Gospel. That's, that's the event that everything hinges around, that Paul's activity hinges around, that the ongoing activity of Paul is all hinged around by making Jesus Christ known to all the nations. So the end of Acts is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. Perhaps just the end of the beginning, as Churchill would say. But the end is important. For all the hostility and resistance that Paul faced, for all the plots and death threats he received, for all the shipwrecks and mishaps, God sovereignly worked through them all to bring Paul to Rome where for all his chains he proclaimed Christ. Everything that went against him, everything that stood against him for those year upon year upon year, he proclaimed Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is how Acts finishes. With boldness and without hindrance. Despite all that's happened, despite the chains around his wrists and legs. Paul's hope was to see the resurrected King Jesus made known throughout the whole earth. That's what he longed for. That's what brought him great joy and happiness, the anticipation of that happening. He saw us here today as God's people, living for the Lord Jesus under his reign. It'd be tickle pink, knowing that message continues to carry on and to carry on. And Paul... It's somewhat like a millennial. Like you guys. Like a millennial. <coughs> he seemed to have little desire in gathering treasures and stuff. The stuff of this world. Like a millennial. Like it or not, he travelled the world with some pretty unique experiences. <laughs> uh, that most people haven't been through. But Paul has. And like a millennial, he wanted to see the world. To see the world know Jesus. What's your hope? For great experiences? Maybe it is for stuff. Is it for great experiences? What's your hope? What do you look forward to in life? Great experiences or to like Paul, like the Lord Jesus, see people know Jesus. I do hope it is your hope. I do hope it's your expectation that that's what happens in your life if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. And here's a very small, tiny, <coughs> little way you can make a step, continue to make a step in that direction if you want in the three weeks after the break, um, I thought it would be good to 
trying to make the most of the final weeks by continuing the activity that Paul began long ago and that many of us have been doing, and that is just by taking the opportunity to speak to people about hope in Jesus. Um, the end of death, the end of sin, the glorious blessings being brought by God through Jesus. If you want to join us in doing that, it might be that you've got one hour where you can join with me and maybe a couple of others. You've never done this before. Uh, and just, we'll, don't worry, we'll take over, we'll look after it, make sure it all works. But just to talk with people about their hope and share with them the hope that we have. If you'd like to do that, there's even a timetable. Just put an X in, in some time in there, on one of those time slots, or a new time slot, uh, and just say, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that in and out. And we'll try and organise someone to go with you in that hour to just go and speak with people about the Lord Jesus and the great hope that we have in Him. I'm going to leave us in prayer, and then someone else is going to come up and leave us in prayer too. Father, thank you for the great blessings you've given us in the Lord Jesus and in your death and resurrection. Thank you for the example Paul has of has given us of hoping in the resurrection through the Lord Jesus uh, and looking forward uh, to that final day when we will see those who follow the Lord Jesus resurrected to eternal life. Lord, we pray that we might put our hope in that day, long for that day, and see others long for that day too. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Pray with us as we finish. So guys, if you don't know me, my name's Indiana. I did a cert four in mental health at the college. Um, and I'm going to pray for us today. Praying is just our way of talking to our amazing God, which I think is pretty radical. So, would you please join with me in prayer? Um, our Father in Heaven, we praise you that we live in a country where we are able to freely be Christians without having to worry about losing our lives. We thank you that we can gather in places such as this and be encouraged by your word and each other. In particular, we praise for Gospel Buddies and the New Focus people who have joined our group and that are keen to learn more about you. We pray that you would bless the new friendships that are being built with the Gospel Buddies and that you would enable them to have great conversations. Today, we also bring the Sylvester family before you. We thank you for, such, for the amazing blessings that you have given to us with their presence at Uni Bible Group and pray for them as they move to a new community in Bathurst. We pray that they will be able to settle into the new community with ease. Lord, we also pray that you continue your great work through them so that people in Bathurst may also see how amazing you are through this great family. And our Father, we finally pray for SNK working Gospel Zero Buddhist Asia. Thank you for giving them hearts to go out on mission despite any dangers and barriers that could make it difficult. We pray that you would give them energy and perseverance to continue your good works. We also pray that you would make them bold and fearless in spreading your word 
and that you would provide them with what they need to continue your mission. Lord, we pray all these things, knowing that we are undeserving of anything, but knowing that you are a good Father who provides according to your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.